Today my message is entitled, Follow Me and Change Your World. If you have a Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, Follow Me and Change Your World. The events of Matthew 9 occur during the height of Jesus' great Galilean ministry. You'll notice in verse 1, Jesus returns to his own city, and that is referring to Capernaum, the city of Peter and Andrew and James and John. In this chapter, Jesus heals a crippled man, and he saves his soul, verses 2 and 6. And as he walks down the road, he sees a tax collector, probably the edge of the city, all set up with his table collecting taxes and legally stealing from the people. I want you to watch what happens next. Matthew chapter 9, look with me in verse 9, please. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. May we pray. Father, I thank you for this time to gather together today to open your word. I pray that as we look at how you have worked in our lives, as we consider how you want to continue to work in our lives, I pray that we'll be yielded, we'll be surrendered, filled with faith and obedience, love and joy and discipline, forgiveness in our hearts. Father, I pray that we'll keep our eye on the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never quit, never turn back, never stop loving and serving. No matter how many times we fall or get knocked down, that we will get back up and follow our Savior. Lord, help us to serve you and love you for your glory, for your praise, for you are worthy of our every effort. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever heard someone say, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it? Or something like, be careful what you pray for because God might just give it to you. Uh, be careful what you're seeking after. I heard about a lady in her 40s, and she had a heart attack, a serious heart attack. And in the hospital, they, they put in three stents. Uh, she was so worried that through this entire experience that she was going to die. But then that night, she had a dream, and, and in her dream, it was as if God said to her, don't worry you will live for 30 more years. And so the next morning she thought, wow, wow, uh, that's great news. While I'm here, I might as well get done what I really want to get done. And so she got the plastic surgery, she got a facelift, she got a nose job, a tummy tuck, liposuction. And I mean, she looked 15 years younger. And she checked out of the hospital and she walked across the street and bang, hit by a bus. In heaven, she asked the Lord, God, I thought you told me I had 30 more years to live. God said, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you pursue in life. And here, 11 of the 12 disciples, they're all from Galilee. And what are they seeking for? What, what, what most people are seeking for at that time, they're, uh, they're seeking for a, a, enough money to survive. They're seeking a wife. They're seeking a family and a little happiness. 
And then Jesus comes along and he gives us his two favorite words, follow me. You see it there? Follow me. Would you say that with me today? Follow me. One more time. Follow me. He said it in Matthew 4.19 to James and John, follow me and I'll do what? I'll make you fishers of men. He said it to three guys in Matthew chapter 8, but all three had an excuse to say no to following. And he says it here in Matthew chapter 9, but this time he says it to a tax collector. I mean the lowest of the low. Look with me at verse 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man, his name is Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. He's collecting taxes. And Jesus said, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. Now, tax collectors, what, what kind of people are these men? Uh, these were, were men hired by the Roman government to collect taxes, but they, they overcharged people. Some of them would hire a, a middleman and have to give him a cut, but not Matthew. I mean, he's a full-on trader. He wants to get every penny. He's very greedy. He's both a trader and a thief. But this day, this day, the, the Son of God is walking by. And he stops, and he looks him in the eye. That's all he says. Follow me. Leave your job. Leave your security. Leave your dreams. And Matthew, in this moment of salvation, gets up and he walks away from his corrupt lifestyle to be able to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it. He did it. The first thing that Matthew did was have a dinner reception to introduce all of his other corrupt friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, I mean it changed his world. Have you ever heard Jesus say that to you? Now, not an audible voice, I, I hope not, but in the still small voice in your heart, have you heard Jesus say to you, follow me? and I will change your world. He said it to me when I was 15 years old, and now he's saying it again to you. I'd like to let you know today that the, that the biggest decisions of my life uh, I made as a teenager. Now, many of you have already made some big decisions, haven't you? I mean, some have been good decisions and some maybe not so good decisions, but those decisions that you make right now, they're gonna set the course and the trajectory uh, for your future big decisions. And so let me quickly, just by way of testimony, give, uh, give you an, uh, a review of how I made these big decisions. My childhood was fairly uneventful, except for my dad dying of cancer at the age of four. When I was four, my stepdad, being a white-collar drunk, we moved from Pennsylvania to Texas, and, and we never traveled. Our, our only vacations were about an hour away in a little pop-up camper. A pretty mundane, ordinary childhood. In high school, we lived in Virginia, and I was so little, my Spanish teacher in the public school, he gave me the nickname Paco. We all had Spanish names, and mine was Paco. It stuck with my friends. He told me that where he came from, Paco meant little one. And so I was Paco, the little guy. Uh, not much good happening in my high school years in my alcoholic home. I could only dream of, of visiting other places. Now, how many of you have had the opportunity to go, say, on a short-term mission trip or your parents have taken you uh, to someplace significant? Would you raise your hand? Okay, lots of you. Lots of you. Uh, uh, the disciples had a pretty similar experience to, uh, to my life. Not much happening. Three trips a, a year they'd go to Jerusalem, and that was about it but I wanted to travel the world. 
Uh, my parents were Air Force civilians. I wanted to be an Air Force pilot, wanted to go to the academy, uh, just get in a cockpit and fly all over the world. Uh, that's not really what they do in the Air Force, but I was naive at the time. Uh, so let me give you the decision. Decision number one, and I trust you've made this, receive Christ as Savior. My first big decision came when I was 15 years old. My dad got saved, found a tract at a gas station, took us to Fairfax Baptist Temple. After about four months, I figured out that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. That's the first time I sensed uh, God saying, follow me, follow me, sitting by my parents there in church. And I think most of you have made that. If your faith is not real, God is calling you today to come to Him in salvation. Decision number two was to surrender to Christ as Lord. The second biggest decision of my life, it came about a year later. It was also a church. It was New Year's Eve service. I was 16, a junior in high school. I came down to the altar and I said, God, I don't have much. God, I, I don't have anything. I, I don't have any money. I can't sing. Uh, no talent. But I have a life. I'm going to give you my life. And I did that night. And we call that uh, surrendering, to do whatever God would, would have us to do. Have you ever done that? Well, I think that's why you're here today, because you have done that. It's not so much about what you're going to do with your life. It's about what are you willing to do. Are you willing to do whatever God would have for you? So my first decision is to be saved. And my second decision to follow the Lord would be to surrender. The next major decision was, was, uh, was at home. It was at home. Uh, decision number three, to follow God's perfect will. It was my senior year, and uh, it was January, and, and I knew God did not want me to pursue the Air Force Academy. And so I thought, well, maybe I should go to a Christian university. And so I found one uh, back, this is way back before the Internet, uh, and it was called Letourneau, Letourneau in Texas. And it was more for engineers, and, and I really didn't think that was where God wanted me to go. So I, I remember being at home, and I, I went upstairs, and I just got on my knees, and I said, God, I will, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will surrender to whatever you would have for me. A missionary, a pastor, a helper. Whatever it is, I just, I just will give it to you. And when I got up off of my knees, I had this huge experience of peace, of relief. God's got this. I have no idea where I'm going to end up, if it's going to be in America, if it's going to be in Africa. I have no idea, but I'm not going to worry because I gave God the steering wheel to my life and he's got the roadmap to my future. It was my first experience of Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So I met with my pastor, Bud Calvert, and I sat down with him. I didn't want to do what he did. I mean, this guy, he preached... He preached five times a week, and then he was on the radio every day, and I was scared to death to think, if that's what a pastor does, I don't want to have anything to do with that. He said, well, clearly, I think God wants you to be a missionary. I think you should go to Baptist Bible College in Missouri back in 1977. I said, okay. I didn't know where Missouri was, but I went. I went, and for me, it was a surrender to be willing to prepare to become a pastor. Now, that kind of catches me up to where you are, right? You've, you've, been, you've been saved, and you've surrendered, and then now you're surrendering specifically. You've chosen a major, and here you are at Bible College. And now you have a decision to make. Are you going to finish your degree? Are you going to become a senior and graduate from this great school? No plan B. If you haven't made that decision... I'm going to finish college. I'm going to get a degree. 
And that is the decision you can make today. Now, tough times. Tough times will come your way. Tough times will come in college. Expect it. But don't let tough times stop you. Proverbs 24, 16, great verse to memorize. A just man falleth, what? Seven times, and he riseth back up again. One year ago, one year ago this month, we were having mission conference. And I, um, I, was, I was leading the service. We had a, a guest speaker in, and my son was in the sound booth, and he gets a text from our daughter, Megan. And she had an accident. It was a serious accident. We didn't know right away, but once the testing was done, we discovered that Megan had crushed her L1 vertebrae. And you who were here prayed for her. Thank you. Thank you for praying for her. And she went from one doctor to another. One doctor said she needed surgery. One doctor said that she couldn't travel and she shouldn't even ride in a car. Finally, a specialist put her in a back brace for eight weeks. No surgery. Thank God for that. By mid-summer, Megan was serving and teaching in an orphanage in Nepal. But you know something? Uh, quitting was never an option. Uh, as we were seeking counsel from doctors and folks in our church and, and out here as well, uh, one friend told me that they had a friend who went through a similar experience at Temple University in Philadelphia. And right at the end of the semester, uh, this person had this fall and, and uh, had a, a broken back situation. And basically, the administration said, I am so sorry. But tough luck. Tough luck. She lost her credits. She lost her money for that semester. And it put her life in a tailspin for years. I'm thankful that you go to a college where the administration and the faculty cares for you. The professors sent work into her room. Roommates and friends were terrific. So next time, next time you might have this thought that you think, you know, my, my college is just a little too strict. My college is just a little too whatever. I want you to remember how they treated my daughter, Megan, when she was in the trial of her life. And they did it with love. Now, thank God she's all better. Uh, she may be little, like I was when I was in high school. She may be little, but she can beat many of you one-on-one -on -one in basketball. I know, I found out the hard way. She was a point guard for two high school basketball championship teams uh, there in our league. My point is, don't quit when trials come your way. God gives you trials to allow you to grow. He gives trials to teach you patience. He gives trials to make you stronger. And so would you determine, would you make the decision, today you will finish college. Why? Because Jesus said, follow me and I will change your world. Why? Because you made the decision to do what God wants you to do. So there it is. The biggest decisions of, of my life were made many years ago as a teenager. At 15, to get saved. At 16, a general surrender. At 17, a specific surrender to follow God's perfect will. Well, let me tell you what happened at 18 once I got to Bible college. I went on a Holy Land uh, trip with the college. Two experiences I want to share with you. One is at the garden tomb. After uh, going into the garden tomb there uh, with our group, we went up to the pavilion to see Calvary. 
And then what happened is, as we began walking away, there was a, a rainstorm. It just began to pour. And everyone uh, from the two buses ran back to the pavilion. And I was out in front there. And I ran to the tomb. And I was all alone in the tomb. Uh, what an experience. I'll never forget it. I was 18. And I prayed, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. Thank you that, that you are alive and right here right here is the place where you came back to life. And I know I'm going to see you someday. Help me to be faithful until I see you face to face. To follow Christ. The second experience was at the Eastern Gate. I prayed at the Eastern Gate too. Our, our hotel was up on the Mount of Olives and so early before sunrise, I came down into the valley and I... I um, I scaled two walls and climbed through a Muslim cemetery. You can kind of, uh, it's right there in the front. And uh, when I get up there, I'm so disappointed. You see the, uh, uh, the wrought iron fence. Now, it was still in the dark, but being Paco, being the little one, there was about a nine-inch space under the wrought iron gate, and I shimmied under it, and I put my back right up against that wall, waiting for the sun to rise. And as the sun came up over the Mount of Olives, I prayed, Lord, I know you're coming back one day, and I know your feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives, and you're going to split it in two, and you're going to come right over here to this gate, and you're going to set up your earthly kingdom. Help me to be faithful. Help me to follow you and never, never quit. I prayed again, Lord, until I see you face to face, I want, by your grace and with your help, I want to be able to hear you say, to me one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But he's only going to say to those who do something and do it well. 500 years ago, the Muslims, they sealed this gate. They put a cemetery in front knowing that no Jewish Messiah would ever come through this cemetery and defile himself. But that's not going to stop Jesus from returning. That's not going to stop Jesus from from going into that old city and creating the, the new Jerusalem there for us to be a part of. When I was a teenager in the 1970s, there was a lot of anticipation that Jesus would return by the year 2000. Uh, may I say that's a strong and urgent motivation to know that Jesus is going to come back and we're coming to the end of the millennium. But here we are, 2019, and he still hasn't come. But you understand what that means. That means right now today we are, we are the closest ones to be alive to the re return of Christ than anybody in the church age. And that should be motivation. I'd like you to watch this. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come...
He could come today. He could come before this chapel is over. If it happened, if it happened in the next 10 minutes, would you be one of the ones left behind? Or do you have confidence and assurance? I'm in Christ and he is in me. Does that motivate you to know that Jesus Christ could come back in your lifetime and that's why you should be following him? Let me give you, let me give you four irrefutable, fulfilled Bible prophecies that should motivate us to be following Christ. We're living in the last of the last days. You look at current events, you look at Bible prophecy, number one, number one, more Jews have returned to their land in your lifetime than in the history of the church age. More than 6.5 million Jews in Israel. Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones, coming back together, the Jews coming back into the land. In your lifetime, more Jews now in Israel than in New York City. No one could say that, but your generation can say that. Number two, the European Union is now in place. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 5, the European Union, uh, the ten toes of Daniel's image, the revived Roman Empire. The EU has its own currency, the euro. The EU has its own military. They have their own court. They have their own flag. They have their own leader. That's a fulfillment that we are in the last of the last days. Number three, worldwide satellite television. Every eye shall see the two witnesses of Revelation 11. That has happened in your lifetime, your generation. Number four, the Arab-Israeli conflict is unresolvable until a peace treaty is brokered by the Antichrist. Fulfilled Bible, that's our Revelation 13. Fulfilled Bible prophecy should motivate all of us to follow Christ. Matthew followed Jesus and it changed his world. Here we have it. Uh, he ended up writing this gospel. He wrote the gospel. He doesn't say anything until he, until he picks up a pen and he gives us the first gospel. And he wrote and recorded in great detail, Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. When the disciples said, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And we find Matthew 24 and you read the news and they match. Last year we were traveling back from my parents' house in Virginia with my two youngest children. And my son Scotty asked me a question. We're just talking about... Uh, his grandparents, uh, uh, my parents, my mom and stepdad, and, and uh, about trials, the trials that I've been through. My youngest two kids kept asking me questions about the trials that I had lived through, losing a dad as a boy, a stepfather who was, uh, uh, that I had with, who was a very mean drunk until he got saved, and uh, my first wife having two miscarriages and the second miscarriage happening the same week that she was diagnosed with stage four cancer that would take her life a year later. All of these trials and in the dark from the back of the van, I, I heard my son ask softly, did you ever think of quitting? Did you ever think of quitting? Now, how can I honestly answer that question? By God's grace, it is all by God's grace. The answer is no, no matter what. But as I thought about it, I didn't answer that question when the trial came. You see, I answered that question when I was your age, when I was a teenager. The decision to not quit was made as a teenager. So when Jesus said, follow me for salvation... We're to say yes. When Jesus said, uh, follow me for surrender, we say yes. When Jesus said, follow me for this particular ministry and will for your life, we say yes. 
And once you make that surrender, you, you let God take care of everything else, of who you're going to marry and what ministry you're going to be involved in. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give thee the desires of thine heart. Uh, Psalm 37, 4. So I got married, started a church, didn't travel much. About 23 years ago, all that changed. I, I, I married again after being widowed after three years. And God has opened up doors beyond my wildest dreams. But I could have never have imagined. I've been to five continents and I've preached in 17 countries. Visited over two dozen, uh, two dozen countries. Preached in many states. And I know I fall short. I, I fall short. We all fall short. But, but I want to do my best. I want to do my best to follow Christ and, and be able to give to God. And, and He always gives back more. And He keeps His promises. And so this summer we're going to celebrate 35 years at Valley Forge Baptist, the 35th anniversary. And some of the guys on staff are putting together a book, and they want to put together a page with some statistics. And uh, we don't want to do it to be prideful. We don't want to do it to be able to boast. We want to do it to say, look what God did. Look what God has done. And from that, we give all the praise to Christ for him, him working through a church family. And in 35 years, we've given just about $10 million to missions. Glory to God. We have a chosen 300 ministry where we help feed the homeless and we preach the gospel and, and we've just served our 10,000th meal and many have been saved. We've put out a couple of million tracts in Community Connection magazines. We passed out or mailed out over the last 35 years supporting over 200 missionaries. And God only knows how many have been saved, but it's all to His glory because we want to follow Christ and he is the one who is faithful to us. Now, if I, I would have had it my way, I would have got into the Air Force. And I, I would have visited maybe four or five or six countries and had what I believe would, for me, would have been a very unfulfilling life. But with all the places I've been, the experiences I've had, it was those decisions of surrender as a teenager, as a college kid. You know... You don't have to go to the garden tomb to get close to God. But you know, many of you one day probably will take a Holy Land trip. And you will stand in that garden tomb. And you will look at Calvary. And you'll stand on the, on the Mount of Olives and, and that place where Jesus ascended. He's going to come back. And, and you can imagine in your mind's eye the Lord Jesus uh, splitting the sky and coming down and splitting the mountain. And you will be with Him. You will be with him, and he will set up that 1,000-year reign. And so today, can you say, God, here I am. God, I'm yours. Take me, use me for your glory. I'm not much. I don't have much, but what I have, like Matthew, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus is saying that to us today. Follow me. Follow me. So Matthew did. He followed the Lord, and he wrote the gospel he preached the gospel in Israel. He went on to Parthia and Ethiopia. All the early church fathers agree that he died a martyr's death. Fox's Book of Martyrs claims he was killed with a spear. He was faithful to the Lord who said, follow me. Now many of you, 18, 19, 20, 21, are you going to make that decision? I'm going to follow. And I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to turn back. Are you really following Christ? Are you willing to leave all? Jonathan Edwards is considered to be America's greatest theologian. When he was 19, 19, he wrote a list of 70 resolutions. 
He said he could only accomplish them by God's grace. As a young Christian, he knew his heart was prone to wander and he wanted, he wanted his resolutions to guide his life and keep him on the right path. During that year of 19, the 70 resolutions included some things like, number one, number one, resolve to do everything for God's glory and man's good. Number six on the list was to live with all my might while I do live. Number 55, resolve to act at all times as if I have already seen the glories of heaven and the torments of hell. His goal was to read all 70 resolutions at least once a week. And God used that young man to spark a revival. We call that revival the what? The Great Awakening. Your coffee shop is named after it. And so when you go in there and you get a, your favorite drink or pastry, I want you to think back. It was a 19-year-old teenager who said, God, I want to follow you. And he wrote those resolutions and he, he sparked that great revival and that prepared the colonies for the war for independence. And so our founding documents breathe with Scripture because of what a teenager did at the age of 19. I read about a man who got lost on a seldom-used trail of Nevada's Armagosa Desert. After wandering around for a long time, his throat became dry. It was clear he was going to die. And about that time, he saw a little shack in the distance. He made his way over to the shack and found a, a water pump and a small jug of water and a note. And the note, the note said, Dear stranger, pour all the water into the top of the pump to prime it. If you do this, you will get the water you need. When you are finished, please fill the jar and put it back as you found it for the next stranger who comes this way. Now the man had a choice to make. If he trusted the note and poured the water in and it worked, he would have all the water he needed. But if it didn't work, he would still be thirsty and he might die. Or he could choose to drink the water in the jug and get immediate satisfaction, but it might not be enough to sustain his life, and he still might die. And so after thinking about it, the man took the risk, and he poured all the water into the pump, and he began to work the handle, and it began pumping. And at first, nothing happened. You see, that well was probably about 150, 200 feet, and that water had a long way to go, and he's pumping, and he's pumping. He's pumping until finally a sweat breaks out and he's thinking, I have made a mistake. I have made a mistake. I should have, I should have drunk that water. But then it began to, he could feel the pressure and it was getting harder and harder. And as he pumped, he pumped all of a sudden, water began flowing. And he got to drink and he was able to fill up all of the containers that he could have and, and had more water than he needed. Student. Students, I want you to know there's, there's going to be days, there's going to be weeks, there's going to be months, there's going to be seasons, and you're going to pump. You're going to be pumping and like, nothing's happening. I mean, I pray and I go out and I knock on doors and I preach and I, I'm sharing my faith and, and nothing's happening and my expectations are not being met. And you're thinking, maybe I should do something different. Maybe I should stop pumping. But I'm here to say to you, don't stop. Keep following. 
The first five years of our ministry, we were in a school building at a dead end in King of Prussia. And we could, go, we could go weeks without a visitor. We could go a couple months without anyone being saved. Uh, we could go a, a long time. We grew from zero to 21 in six months and took about five and a half years just to get 90 people. But you keep pumping. You keep pumping. And you keep pumping. And now, now in the 35th year, every single week we've got visitors. I didn't bring them in. God brought them in. Or the church family's bringing them in. Every couple of weeks we see someone saved. Every month we see someone baptized. And God gets the praise for it. Because Jesus, he looks at us and he says, follow me. Follow me. God is at work in Pennsylvania. He's at work in California. He's at work all over the country. Be encouraged. God is saving in our church. He's saving Buddhists and he's saving agnostics and he's saving atheists and he's saving former Catholics. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Jesus is saying today, follow me and change, change your world. Do you want God to use you? Sure we do. Let's follow him.